Morena. Well, today we're uh, continuing uh, our journey through new life in dying words. Seven uh, words of Jesus from the cross over the last week and this week and the next five weeks. Seven words spoken by Jesus as he hung there dying. Seven last clues to what was on the heart and mind of Jesus. These sayings, they're, they're often used as the focus for Good Friday services, where over a course of a service, all seven of them are read and people have a chance to ponder on them. But, but here, we are being given an opportunity to reflect and consider each word to gain insight into the very heart and nature of God, the very heart and nature of the gospel, of the good news that Jesus brings, of the good news that Jesus is, the good news that is Jesus, and the very heart of the human condition. So as we uh, ponder these words over the next few weeks, let's keep those things in mind and see what we can reflect on in our own time as well as from hearing from the various preachers who've been given this task. So last week, Howard started um, you guys off with the, the first word, and, and these sayings have been given a traditional order, even though they're found across all the four Gospels. And the, the first one traditionally is, Father, forgive them. They know, what, they know not what they do. Speaking of the preemptive forgiveness that is at the very heart of the Gospel, the forgiveness that is at the heart of God's love for us, the forgiveness that enables our relationship to be restored as we realise our need for it and as we recognise who Jesus is. Today, we're looking at the second word, which is still in Luke's Gospel. So we've heard again today read for us that first word, but today we're focusing on the second word, which is, today you will be with me in paradise. So I wanted to remind us a little bit about crucifixion. I know Howard spoke a little bit about it last week. But crucifixion was essentially a tool of Roman power. It was used to impose and defend imperial values. And it wasn't a particular punishment for those who had tried to challenge Rome. And it was preserved for the worst kind of criminal. It was done in a public place where there was maximum foot traffic for maximum effect. And it was a place of shaming, a place where you hung, stripped naked, stripped of your personal identity, naked, which was especially shaming in Jewish culture. So Jesus hangs there, identified ironically by his placard above, here is the king of the Jews. It was in three languages, so that nobody in and around would mistake what it said so that no one would be in, ignorant of his crime. And Jesus hangs there, surrounded by the crowd who came to see the criminals die. And in the crowd we have the Jewish rulers who have never understood Jesus. They've never grasped what he was trying to say about who God is and what God is trying to do and how God works. So they mock and they sneer. Here is the chosen one, the anointed one of God, and around him, there are the Roman soldiers doing their job, but also 
mocking. Save yourself, you king of the Jews. And beside him, on either side, criminals. The word used in the Greek text literally means evildoers. And one commentary I read used a, an old-fashioned term for them, malefactors. These criminals uh, in, in other Gospels are identified as thieves or perhaps more aptly robbers. But our text today talks of them as evildoers, as criminals. And they were, because of the nature of what crucifixion was used for, more likely to be bandits or brigands or perpetrators of sedition, even terrorists, dangerous and violent men, crucifixion being reserved, as I've said, for the worst crimes against the Roman Empire. And one of these criminals, criminals one of these lowest of the low, also mocks, aren't you the Messiah, the Christ? Save yourself and us. But here in Luke's Gospel, in contrast to those of Mark and Matthew, it is only one of the criminals who mocks. I think uh, the um, slight discrepancies and the different ways that the, the Gospel writers tell the tale, even including here in, in the crucifixion, give us a, a, a very rounded picture. But you might ask, why, why does only Luke talk about this penitent criminal and it may, it may be because he was a, an assiduous interviewer as he wrote his histories, and he talked to anybody and everybody. And we know from John's Gospel that there were a number of women there at, at the cross. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary, the wife of Clopas. Uh, Jesus' aunt, Mary Magdalene. And it may be that, and probably was, that Luke talked to these people. And these women would have been heartbroken but avidly interested in watching what was happened. So this may be why we get this story only from Luke. So in Luke, it's only one of the criminals who mocks, and the other, a nameless man, he speaks up. He speaks up. He speaks against his fellow criminal. Don't you even fear God? He speaks out. We... We, at least, we're guilty. We're getting what we deserve. This is justice. He speaks up for Jesus. This man, this man is innocent. And he speaks to Jesus. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. How did he know that Jesus was a king? Jesus is hanging there naked, crucified along with them as a criminal. Could he have read the inscription that was put up there ironically? And the irony is, is on many levels, for us, it, the irony is that they put up the truth. Um, but could he read it and, and believe it despite the circumstances that both he and Jesus were in, despite the, the mocking that he'd all, heard all, he had been hearing all around? Had he perhaps heard of Jesus earlier in his ministry? Had he heard Jesus speak? seeing what Jesus could do. All this is really speculation. We don't actually know. But what we do know is that he was there. He knew the humiliation that was crucifixion. He heard the mocking, the jeering, the taunts. But he also heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And maybe it was this that alerted him to Jesus' true nature, 
that Jesus truly was the king that his label called him. He spoke to Jesus in faith. He spoke to Jesus with trust. He spoke with belief that Jesus was able to do what he was asking of him. And so he asked, he asked for a blessing. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. When we, often in scripture, when we hear the terms remember me, it is, when addressed to God, it is asking for a blessing. Uh, For example, Hannah, uh, when she was in her barren state, praying desperately to God, asks to be remembered. And that's only one of many examples in, in scripture where we see those words, remember me, and the, the blessing that comes when people earnestly ask to be remembered by God. And Jesus amazingly replies, Jesus in pain, struggling to breathe, replies, today you'll be with me in paradise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. The criminal, in contrast to the Jewish leadership, in contrast to the Roman soldiers, in contrast to his fellow criminal, recognises who Jesus is. Perhaps the person least likely there to recognise who Jesus is, recognises who Jesus is. And in recognising that, also recognises his own need for help, his own sinfulness including the justness of his punishment. And he, he, but despite recognising all those things, or perhaps because recognising all of those things, he asks for that blessing from Jesus. The unlikeliest people recognise who Jesus truly is. And here we have the heart of the gospel, that Jesus came to save sinners, that Jesus, the one who ate and drank with sinners, dies with sinners, but also talks with them as he is dying. And here we have part of the scandal of the gospel, that the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Often when we sing the hymn that that couplet comes from, which is about the glorious great things that our God has done, when, we sing, when I sing those lines, I wonder whether we actually really believe them. That the grace and forgiveness and the love of God is for everybody, including the vilest offenders. Last year, one of the things we looked at in Matthew was the parable of the labourers in the vineyard. A, a, a parable that many of us would struggle with because it says that the same grace of God is available for everyone regardless of whether they come early or late to their salvation, we all receive the same reward. The promises ring true for all of us, regardless of what state we were in when we were saved or how early we were saved or what kind of life we've lived and how long we've lived it. And I think that that when we look at the criminal on the cross being the first, in one sense, to enter the kingdom of God, we will struggle with that idea that the vilest offenders... Because I think most of us, well, I know it's true of me, despite knowing that it's not true, have a hierarchy of sins. And we kind of think, well, I'm not like that person. I haven't committed that sin. But despite this very natural human feeling, 
there is no hierarchy of sin. We are all sinners and have all fallen short of the glory of God. But thankfully for us, there's also no hierarchy of forgiveness. The vilest offender who truly believes, that moment is forgiven. Jesus, in response to this criminal's heartfelt, perhaps even forlorn, certainly, I think, desperate cry, says, today, today you will be with me. He says this when he is on the cross. For his kingdom is reached only through and by that cross. Jesus does not save himself. And he is mocked and taunted with that. But he knows that it's only by laying down his life that he can save us, that he can save others. And so the, the mocking that he receives is ironic because he is willingly laying down his life. But he can save us through doing that. Jesus came proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand, that the kingdom of God is near, is coming. And here we see the kingdom of God is here. If only you can hear what he is saying. And that it is here even as he is on the cross. The kingdom of God is now. The kingdom of God is seen in Jesus breaking into today. Now this word from Jesus is, is frequently used as reassurance and assurance for us for our lives after death that we can have eternity with Jesus. And the focus is often put on the word paradise. And in fact I was actually a bit anxious when I realised that this was the saying that I was going to talk about because I find the speculation about what this actually means and, and, and what happens to us after I die troubling because I don't think scripture is particularly clear about what happens after death um, other than we know that Jesus was resurrected and we know that he was resurrected bodily and that he promises to be with us. So when I, I reflected more on this word and put aside my anxiety, the the things that really spoke to me about it was that he said, today and with me. And I think that's where the focus is this, not on some paradise um, after death, although I'm not saying it's not talking about that, but it's on today, the here, the now. Today, even in the worst situations of this life, today, it is possible to be with Jesus here, today. It is possible to be with Jesus now. Paradise, several commentators note, is God's creation restored when God has rectified, God has put right the world. And this starts with Jesus incarnate. It starts with Jesus coming into the world. It starts with Jesus dying on the cross. The kingdom of God invading today, here and now, not when we die. Here and now, the kingdom of God is. It's that tension between it's already, but it's not yet complete and perfect, but it's here today. And that today is available with an immediacy if we only recognize who Jesus is and trust 
trust that he can do what he says he can do. That in the worst of our situations, together with the criminal, we can see that there is a king. There is one is able, who is able to do what he promises. That here is one who can remember us. Here is one who can remember us. He can reform us, rebuild us when all else fails. And that it is here with Jesus now that we can have joy. We can have joy eternally. We can be here today with Jesus in paradise. This is the heart of the gospel, that God has given the means to restore relationship with him. And that can occur even as you are dying on a cross. It can occur in the worst of your situations. That relationship, yes, will be deeper, richer, more full when we move beyond this present mortal life. But that relationship starts here and now. This is the heart of the gospel, that we can be with God in relationship with him if we recognise who Jesus is, if we recognise our nature and we call upon him and believe in him. And this is why Paul can tell us to give thanks in all situations. We never promise that life will be easy, nor that we can escape the consequences of what has happened in our past, although it can be redeemed. Amid the criminal, after all, did die on the cross with Jesus, but he was still saved. And this is because Jesus can be and will be with us in all situations. He will never forsake those who seek him. And this is, this is why Paul, who has a remarkable list of all the bad things that happened to him for the sake of the gospel, he was beaten and imprisoned, and I forget all the list, but uh, it's in one of the Corinthian letters, I think. Um, he can say still, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He can tell us, if I can find it, here we go, who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall trouble or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. No, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is Christ Jesus, our Lord. As Christina said in her opening call to prayer today, he will never forsake those who seek him. And as our psalmist has said, I've run for dear life to you. I say to God, be my Lord, without you, nothing makes sense. Now you've got my feet on the light path, all radiant shining from the shining of your face. Ever since you took my hand, I'm on the right way. I can have joy in your presence eternally. Amen.